Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 332nd episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that bought everything else so TCG Player couldn't have it. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Travis Allen, at Wizard Bumpin' on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be here and looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. Our show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this lovely podcast. Travis, what is on our agenda this week? Well, this week we have four segments. Segment one, our MTGO metagame week in review. We have both a modern challenge and a pioneer challenge to look through, uh, with one particular card from New Capenna being fairly well represented, it would seem. Segment two, our top paper movers, a decent slate of options this week to look at that have seen some price bumps along with the MTGO movers. Segment three, cards to watch, some cards that we will think we think have a, a positive future in front of them and finally for segment four our weekly topic you erased my clever title i'm disappointed tcg acq cfb scg mia ROI. oh i didn't i didn't realize that that's what it was i'm totally fine with that let me rewind (laughs) i I thought that was leftover from last week no that was that was me being cute uh all right we'll keep it tcg player bought channel fireball uh what that means for your weekend coming up at 11 <laughs> the metagame we can review here up on this modern challenge uh just from a couple days ago i see a lot of murktide a lot of grixis Gir- shadow and some burn i mean that's basically seven out of your eight slots with ledger shredder in two of those three archetypes uh so what is that 10 ledger shredders across the top eight that's pretty pretty solid for a non-pro tour event yeah, I mean, there's a lot of Ledger Shredder in the mix these days. Card totally underestimated up front by most players, and yet it continues to do work. And I think what's most notable about this modern challenge is that it's not just doing work in Blue-Red Murktide anymore. We've got Grixis Shadow back in the menu, and one of the main, main features there seems to be some number of Led- Ledger Shredder, including in the fourth place list, four of them. We had four color Omnath in first, blue red Murktide in second, with two Ledger Shredder, Burn in third, Grixis Shadow in fourth and fifth, one with the aforementioned four Ledger Shredders and the second version without any. Then blue red Murktide with four Ledger Shredder in sixth, and then blue red Murktide without. So there, you know, there's still some debate as to how to formulate these lists clearly. And then Burn wrapping things up again in eighth. Yeah, so I mean, not as much variety there as we've seen in a couple other places. Um especially that ledger shutter. I mean, you don't usually see one card do, you know, showing up that much in, you know, I guess one top eight, not in a healthy top eight typically. 
Well, the closest thing that we've seen in recent months is Boseju, right? Boseju and Ottawa have similar penetration rates, and we were tracking them pretty closely for the first couple of months post-Neon Dynasty, and Boseju was all over the place. Um, But it's a lot easier to get a a land that can double as a naturalize um, justified in your list than it is a card that is is specifically an attacking force that also fills up your graveyard graveyard and discards things. Are we talking about playsets of Boseju that were people playing ones and twos you saw anything from one twos and threes uh yeah if we look over this pioneer challenge from july 10th uh on magic online lotus field combo took first and they were running three copies of Boseju. and this is a legendary land why are they running three legendary because it has that alternate mode that they can use to get rid of problems uh, second place in that challenge was Blue Red Thing in the Ice with three Ledger Shredder, so yet another home for the deck, I mean for the card. Uh, five Color Humans, probably the most interesting of these Pioneer lists. All sorts of different humans, just stuff all over the place. General Kudro, they're running three Pyre of Heroes, I think it's a Kaldheim card. Four Collected Company to tie the whole thing together. Adeline and just every good human that's been printed in the last five, ten years. Blue-White Control running three, five Fairy, and three, the Wandering Emperor in fourth. The Red-White Prowess deck that took everything down last week was still showing up in the top eight in fifth. Another Blue-Red Phoenix list, as opposed to Thing in the Ice, with two Ledger Shredder in sixth. Then a Black-Red mid-range list that's been fairly persistent in the format. And a Bant take on the Humans list, subtracting out two colors, presumably for uh, greater consistency in the mana base. And, but still running the four collected company to get key threats into play and try to overload the opponent's defense. This is, a, I mean, this is a fun top eight. You have some a solid array of strategies here. It looks like you're getting uh, a little bit of mat- maturity in the format uh, as of late. I, I, you know, Saffron, Seth talked about. I noticed some tweets of his today that. Um, Mo- the era of modern that he thought was best was when it had about it was just like a two or three year window early on and it talked about the number of years and the number of sets that were legal and pioneer is just about in the same place right now so i do think that pioneer probably has a very good future ahead of it in terms of in the next couple of years for what the format can do for us uh and, and you know this topic looks like a good a good showing here all right, so moving on over to Top Paper Movers of the Week. Kick things off with Sarkin Unbroken, the teamer dragon-oriented planeswalker from Dragons of Tarkir, going from 23 to 28, and it's been edging up pretty consistently since Miriam became a thing out of Commander Legends 2. Uh, that teamer dragons list has driven the prices of several key cards, and I've certainly sold two or three foil Sarkin Unbrokens lately. Those are drying up on TCG Player and a couple of non-foils as well. Not super surprised to see that on the list. Yeah, Sarkin Unbroken. We see this pop up every time there's a little bit of dragon action. Boy, starting at 23 is pretty impressive. I remember this card being like three bucks. Uh, but then again, who would have seen, imagined it not having been reprinted in like six years, seven years so? uh some good three color color planeswalkers are hard to find a home for i mean it's the kind of thing that could randomly show up in a master set but out of a pool of so many options and they they tend to they seem to try to fill those those multicolored slots rare slots often with uh commanders 
that have been out of print for a while. If you look at the list for Double Masters 2022, a lot of those rare multicolor cards are, are commanders that were printed, you know, two to five years ago. Uh, then we've got like a, a cadre of early targeted Double Masters stuff. The set just officially came out last Friday. Uh, there was lots of action, tons and tons of sales on TCG Player on singles and sealed product. Sealed products floating high for this early in the game for a set release. And some of the key cards have also been showing early action that's outpacing supply. Sensei, Sensei's Divining Top Borderless, uh, 43 to 54. You would expect it to be going in the other direction first week of release. Food Chain non-foils 35 to 45 on early targeting that's almost 30 percent gains there smothering tithe borderless went 45 to 60 that's just the non-foil version and then you have seasoned pyromancer foil etched version going from 30 to 45 we've been discussing this in the discord because whenever you see low supply on big big you know blue chip cards that are multi-format or very, very strong in EDH, something like a Smothering Tithe, you have to start wondering, is it time to jump in? Because sometimes on opening weekend, you get very good opportunities. And, you know, people have definitely sniped some great stuff. Most of my action so far has been in Japan. I bit off a $2,500 card or so with a bunch of stuff that seemed underpriced over there. Mostly focused on stuff that was 40% or so below what TCG was, assuming that it's going to come down another 25% or so. But when we look back at Double Masters and how things went for the big ticket cards there, especially the ones that came out of the, the VIP packs, the $100 booster packs for that set, we see a pretty clear trend that over the three to six months following the launch, sure, some stuff spiked early, but a lot of it then fell down the hill and got to its true low somewhere between four and eight months later, and then another four to six months after that started to rebound. Now, is the the supply similar between these two sets? I think it's close enough that we have to assume we're going to get better entry points closer to Christmas, especially given all of the, you know, the, the quality of and frequency of the sets that are coming out this fall. Because remember, we have Dominaria United, which apparently has some big gimmick attached to it to push the 30th anniversary. We have uh, Unfinity, the borderless space-themed shocks that will be the first borderless foil shocks available um, that got pushed back from the spring to a fall release. And then we have the Brothers War to, to head into the holiday season. So there's going to be quite a lot of action with with you know, people being, attention being drawn towards these fresh hype cycles. And in a situation like that, I could very easily see us seeing better entry points on a lot of the key uh, Double Masters 2022 cards somewhere in the fall. But I would not be tremendously surprised if for some of the most important cards, especially the ones that are the hardest to pull, things like the textured cards that only show up, I believe, in 3% of packs, you know, they're being gobbled up pretty quickly, and I expect them to dip, but it's possible that, that the best of them, like a Renin 6, may just spike hard and early and, and retreat off of that, but still be resting at a very high level in six months. Now, when we were talking about foil etched here on the Season Pyromancer, that's the same foil etch they were using however many months ago, right? Like that With Commander changed. Legends? It's yeah. pretty. It's pretty similar. Um, I think that they have got the formula a little bit more dialed. They seem to be uh, a little more clear. Uh, I think the textured foils are a big win. 
they I, I happened to open two Ulamogs in just my first four boxes, which was really kicking the shit out of the uh, drop rate statistics. Um, feel pretty fortunate about that, given that they're both going for over $200 currently. And in Canada, I think the they're sold out at our biggest vendor for four fifty Canadian, and a, a handful in stock at the second biggest vendor, four hundred. And they seem to be selling pretty well on TCG Player, even though they're in that. I think Renin sixes are going for several hundred dollars. And I've been telling people to sell into this hype because even if some of them slide up the curve later, they're still doing very well to sell into this. And if the predicted pattern emerges where they spike hard early, but then as people, you know, the most hardcore collectors and players get what they need and then the demand lets off, we could easily see a release where things start tumbling down the curve. And if you look back at a lot of the premium cards released over the last few years, that's been a very consistent pattern. Like if we go, go back to double masters and look at uh, foil borderless Japanese force of wills those got extremely pricey for a while and then fell back down hard i think they were three or four thousand dollars the first couple months after release and now they can be had in the like thousand to fifteen hundred dollar range so waiting too long on you know perching on top of your cliff of greed can easily cost you money whereas you could have had just a ridiculous annualized return if you buy a box through our group buys for 200 pull the 200 dollar card out sell it at 200 and it later slides to 120 yeah, so I was just curious since we're talking about it. These, the foil jeweled lotuses are seven thirty, which is higher than they were. The extended art foil jeweled lotuses at seven thirty are higher than they were when we were talking about them. Because I think our discussion was whether they would break five hundred or something like that. So, you know, what you're just talking about things like the the force will you know dropping from whatever three grand to I don't know whatever you said seven hundred fifty or something. Jeweled Lotus has done pretty well. I think some of these... Re- if we look at some other good examples of stuff that has trailed off, Obnixilis Foil Etched got like up to $200 plus and then it's now down under $100 because the card hasn't paid off in the multiple formats it was being tested in for the first couple months after release. Um, that was the big... Everybody thought it was going to be the next big thing out of Streets of New Capenna in terms of low casting cost Planeswalkers and it just hasn't got there. It's a solid card, but it's not as good as people thought the, even the wandering emperor foil uh etched and foil uh alt art has let off i think they got let me just see for wandering emperor showcase foils are currently on tcg player at 125 or so and you can see if you look at the six month that they got up over 200 as well uh, and then started to trail back down um, other examples would be the year before we had the Phyrexian foil etched uh, Vorinclex that mm-hmm. spiked really hard soon and then fell back down. It just seems like it's all about where the hype spotlight is at. And as the hype moves on to the next big thing, people start forgetting about the cards because they're thinking about other things. And, and so supply overwhelms demand for a while. As people get nervous about holding their copies too long and start undercutting each other a few dollars at a time and knocking things down the ladder. And then later supply, then, you know, the lack of supply will eventually overwhelm the latent lessened demand. And then you will have things, you know, step back up the curve. Like I will not be at all surprised when the Wandering Emperor foil 
showcase ends up being a $300 card because it's down to 60 listings. Nobody's got any major walls. It's all onesie-twosie. And the, the curve is pretty steep back up that way. So put it out three to five years. Like, where are you going to source these from? It takes hundreds of packs to find them. And it's not the kind of thing that Wizards has shown any inc- inclination to reprint. So in ca- until they send a signal that says premium masters is going to be a thing at a thousand dollars a box you don't have a whole lot to worry about yeah you know i find these very expensive chase cards to be challenging to pin down because you have stuff like jeweled lotus and some and the amano lily and some other odds and ends that started expensive and then just kept climbing yeah um in contract to your point i flip i flipped an amano lily foil two weeks out or within a week of release of war in 2019 for bought it from ed for like 450 and flipped it for 650 to france and i thought i was a genius right if i'd held it i could have sold it for two and a half grand yeah so i mean we have repeated data points where cards come out expensive and then they climb but it does feel like we have a greater number of cases that start pricey and may see short-term bursts but eventually trickle back down um and I don't have any rhyme or reason. You know, to hindsight's twenty twenty. It's easy to rationalize them after the fact, but when you're sitting there looking at them on, you know, a week before release, it's. I feel like it's not reliable to pin down which one's going to go which way. Uh, my gut, my overall take here is that I just think that it, the trend generally seems to favor going down rather than going up. So you should sell them all because you'll be right more often than you were wrong and you're just going to have to understand that when you accidentally sell a mono lilianas yep like i've got i've got four obnixilis the adversary showcase foil etch that i according to my records i paid 120 each for during a week where there was less than 15 listings on tcg player and if it had taken off in modern it seemed like it was going to be a 200 dollars plus card like the wandering emperor and now you can get those for fifty bucks, so I'm down two hundred and eighty yeah. on that on that transaction. And if I had instead bought them that week, flipped them at one sixty plus, and gotten out clean, which was totally a possibility at the time, uh, you know, I'd be way out ahead of this this ditch I'm in that will take two to three years to dig out of. Yeah. Yeah, it it sucks because you're you no one's gonna hit it a hundred percent of the time, and you're gonna feel bad every time you don't sell something, and you're gonna feel bad every time you do do sell something. Like, and you're gonna get it right once, and then the next time you're gonna get it wrong, and you're gonna lose all this money because you waited or you didn't wait, and it will erase the profits you made on the last one. It just it feels like you're just you're generally supposed to sell here, um, but it's gonna leave a bad taste in your mouth. I'll put it to you this way. I've been selling most of the... I took on a pretty solid amount of Double Masters sealed product because I I was a big believer in that. I bought almost no... Actually, I don't think I bought any Commander Legends 2 sealed product. Um, And I've been flipping it. And that's knowing, believing strongly that Double Masters 2022 product in a year is probably going to be up 25% or more. Mm -hmm. Because I believe... If I take the cash now, which is still up 30% in a day, like take possession, flip it locally, make 30%, bankroll is ready to be redeployed. Even if it's going to go up 40% the next year, there's something else I can put it in to get 40%. Like that's, 
Yeah, I think that's probably the main takeaway or the, the, the main thing, the main differentiating factor is that you can, whether you're supposed to hold or not, you can easily just look at and say, well, if I, I'm not 100% sure if I'm supposed to hold these valuable cards or if I'm supposed to sell them, but because maybe 55% of the time they go down type of thing, but when they go up, they go up harder. So it ends up working out. It's like, yeah, but how long do you have to wait? For any of this to play out because the just sell it while it's expensive plan keeps putting money back in your pocket that you get to turn over. So unless you're working with a roughly infinite bankroll, uh, you're better off just constantly flipping and then leaving those slow gains to other people. One of the interesting things is that the textured foil mythics out of Double Masters 2022 are actually more rare than the, sorry, the foil etched mythics out of double masters 2022 are more rare than the textured foil borderless cards because the pool of them is larger Mm. and so even though there's a dedicated foil etch slot there's a lot more cards so to find one particular foil etched mythic takes a lot of packs and so some people have been targeting those just on rarity yeah but people are still lukewarm on the foil actually yes. in general aren't they yes 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 that's that's the thing is that you got it you're you're you have to consider both rarity and popularity and that's why something like jeweled lotus was such a home run because it was an auto include in one and two color decks in a lot of cases for the for the format there was nothing else like it nothing else in the format provides that instantaneous artifact driven free burst of access to cast your commander and it was a foil extended art, which is a you know beloved format for a premium card. Despite the fact that it had curling issues like everything else in that set, people largely seem to ignore that. In part, possibly because people that lived in very humid areas wouldn't have really noticed it anyway. And that's different than something like Obnixilis, where people were assuming it would follow the path of the Wandering Emperor because the early testing looked very promising, but then within about a month, the pros like Aspiring Spike, etc., just kind of gave up on the card and moved on. Whereas Ledger Shredder started out as a nothing. Foil Extended Arts were available like for $4 on opening weekend, and and now they're 30 bucks or whatever. Because, mm-hmm. you know, the, the play pattern actually justifies the price. Right, right. And so when you're placing those bets... You know, if you're if you're placing them solely on rarity, you can get killed by lagging demand. Yeah, I mean, I mean that the the reading it to figure out whether it's expensive because of rarity versus playability is 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 how you try and beat coin flips, right? That's where you try and use your your knowledge and your skill and your experience to do better than the the they average out to be the same, and you have to know when to pick them correctly. Um, sure. I don't know. Maybe you'll be successful with that. I I think that that's that's a bit of a gamble for people to take, uh, because you're competing against a lot of other people who are operating in this space who are using similar knowledge. I mean, again, that's the type of stuff that I feel like is very easy to look at with hindsight and go, well, obviously this one was going to be expensive because. You know, it's useful, but this one wasn't going to be expensive because even though it looked useful, it wasn't useful. And it's like, sure, you know, that makes sense two months later. But again, that weekend before release, when we're all sitting around looking at them, you're going, you have to make that call then. And that's the time that it matters. And that's when it's really hard. 
Hmm. But once again, I preach. Once again, I once again I preach uh, caution to our listeners. Yeah, my summary is sell double master stuff because the hype is huge right now. Um, Living end at a time spiral. 11 to 15. This is on the back of it continuing to do well in modern uh, and always being a four of in that archetype. The TSPR Tides Power Remastered version is also chasing, although I think they're still under eight for now. I will not be surprised if these don't catch a reprint that they end up 15 to 20 within the year for sure. Um, we've got Savage Ventmaw Battle Bond Foils going nine to 15. That's probably on the back of all the dragon decks. Well, almost certainly is. Gateway Plaza, likewise, out of Ravnica Allegiance, is a gateway-affiliated land, and those foils went 5 to 9 on the back of the gateway decks that were unlocked by all the gateway-relevant cards in Commander Legends' uh, Battle for Baldur's Gate. And Blood Crypt foils at a Dissension, original printing of the Shocks, 330 to 700. I'm sure you remember our conversation about how, when we predicted that the shock foils were going to turn into thousand dollar cards eventually the shock foil oh 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 the original yes yeah i do remember that and we had uh it was blood crypt wasn't one of them <laughs> right if we were going to pick one that would have won one would have been low down on the totem pole it would have been watery grave and breeding pool maybe hallowed fountain those were the ones we identified original watery gate grave out of ravnica city of guilds you can still get those for you know 20 or 25 dollars but the foils uh near mint there is 275 280 and 301 left as listings on tcg player and those are probably buys would be my guess yeah i mean there is a consideration because ravnica was probably at a much larger volume than because it was drafted as a set right yeah it would have been three 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 that was back when you did three 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 sorry one 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 then one one two then one two three basically so that was back from the era where the third set in a block got played way opened way less than the others so anything out of dissension which blood crypt is i believe that was the third set in that block would have seen far lower supply good point um, if we look at Steam Vents, for instance, from the middle set, Guild Pact, there are four listings, six copies total near mint on TCG Player, and the first five copies are between 325 and 400, and then you have one posted at 750. I, I stand by my original point that give this time, these are $1,000 cards. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You're, you might, I don't, who knows how long you'll be waiting, but it would seem that that's the case at the moment. Ancestral Anger Silver Screen version out of Double Feature, foils from 30 to 68. That's almost certainly on the back of people noticing that it was played in the Red-White Pioneer Prowess deck that kind of came out of nowhere. Black Dragon Gate out of Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate, or CMR2. A dollar to $3. 200% gains, exactly the kind of thing that never makes you any money, and the buy list hasn't caught up on this. But these are worth looking at as cheap if you have a cheap entry point on them, because they are relatively flexible duels where you get, it's a, it's a comes into play tapped duel, but you choose the second color, which can be very handy in a black X three, four, five color EDH deck. And so people have clearly been targeting these. 
And there, all most of those lands are in three to four thousand EDH rec decks already, so that's pretty good for less than eight weeks out from release. And yeah, kind of thing you definitely don't want to throw away if you were, you know, you were cracking those CBs because that might be one of the ways you're going to claw back towards profitability slowly. Um, <laughs> and you know, if you're building EDH decks, put them aside because you'll find use for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that falls into the same type of stuff that I, annoys the hell out of me when I'm trying to clean up all of my collection as I attempt to make things easier. As you have stuff like that that's perfect to hold on to, but still takes up a bunch of space. <laughs> and yep. You're not sure where to organize it. Molten Echoes, which was in Commander 2020, and then I think got a reprint in Commander Crimson Vow, went from two to five fifty. That's because it's in a pretty solid tribal card that's already in fifteen thousand EDH rec. Uh, reported decks and doesn't have kind of, kind of an, a unique effect. Um, Thran Tome is your reserve list silliness for the week. It went 250 to 15 in theory, because which really just means somebody probably decided to target it as a reserve list card. This card's terrible. It's unplayable pretty much everywhere. It's not particularly iconic. There's no reason to be buying them other than trying to leverage them Rudy style. Mm, yeah. The reserve list hasn't changed. All right. Moving on to Magic Online Movers of the Week. Needle Verge Pathway Borderless promos on Magic Online went from 4.15 ticks to 7.15. 72% gains on the back of Heavy Standard Play plus that Boros Pioneer list running four of uh, of the card. Got Archon of Cruelty out of Modern Horizons 2 from last summer going 8.8 ticks to 15 ticks on the back of EDH and Modern Demand kind of being like a constant underflow, and then it won a legacy challenge as a two of in Reanimator on July 9th. Uh, Crimson Fleet Commodore uh, out of Commander Legends, I didn't, didn't even remember this card existed, went from 3.78 to 7.09 ticks. That's 88% gains, because apparently it's a two or a three of in Blue Red Popper Fairies. Sure. 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 Luminarch Aspirant out of Zendikar Rising, 2.56 to 5.4 ticks. If you drafted a lot of ZNR, you probably have some of these sitting around because they were good in draft too. Might want to offload those to the bots. 112% gains on the back of very strong standard play. I thought I saw the Luminarch, Luminarch Aspirant and thought it said Luminarch Ascension. I was like, ooh, that's exciting. What's going on there? Because that card was uh, awesome. <clears throat> Well, that foils of that card have done pretty well lately because of uh, Giada in Streets of New Capenna, the new Angel Commander. Yeah, yeah, that card was pretty gross at, at various points in time. A little, little old man magic there. Uh, so segment three are cards to watch here. Um, James, why don't you get us started? Well, we talked a lot about Ledger Shredder so far, so I may as well segue into Ledger Shredder Foil Extended Arts. These got up to about 40, 42 to 45, depending on where you were buying them, as it was a discovered card and in a few weeks of hype drove the price up real high. And they've since faded as the hype cycle has moved on to two additional sets down to about, looks like we can get them somewhere around 30 to 32 dollars. And there are 38 listings left on TCG Player nobody has any walls twos and ones and twos for the most part a few people have fours as you get up closer to 40 dollars a set this card's absolutely everywhere 
it's not really a huge EDH card, but it's still in 10,000 EDH decks since release. So that's very solid. 5% of all blue decks. Nothing to complain about there. And when I'm thinking about where this can head, I try to forget that Thieving Skydiver is still $4 and focus more on where Shadow Spear Foil Extended Art got to, which is currently $70 to $80. Um, Shadow Spear has been ubiquitous both in, in EDH and as a 1z, 2z kind of thing in a variety of modern decks. And within a year and a half or so had become very, very pricey and they're very hard to replace. And they will give that card to you again in some future, you know, Double Masters 2024 or something. But Ledger Shredder being still in print for the better part of a year uh, means there's no reprint this year. Be very, very surprised to see it anywhere else in the next 12 months. So these foil extended arts for a card that is seeing four of play in at least six or seven different archetypes plus commander usage and we're talking modern and legacy and standard and pioneer, right? Like it's pretty much the whole spectrum of, and I think it's even a vintage card. So basically the whole spectrum of constructed play, competitive constructed play means, and it's sometimes is a two, two of, sometimes a three of, but often a four of, seems very likely that this is going to follow Shadow Spear up the chain and be a 60 $80 card. So I'm going to call these at 30 to go to 60 in say a year. That's, I mean, that's definitely uh, a bit of, a, I don't want to say putting your money where your mouth is. You're, you've got a lot of faith in it. Um, Shadow Spear has done very well. Um, I mean, Shadow Spear has, I mean, Shadow Spear, we're looking at 57,000 EDA truck decks. So that's really doing good work. Versus Ledger Shredder, which is, like you said, has some success in EDH. But, I mean, 10K, and this was new, new Streets of New Capanna, which was, what, like three, six months ago? Three months no, ago? No, two, 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 two months and a half ago. months ago, three months ago. So 10K in two months is really good. Like, 10K is not a lot, but it's a lot very quickly. Um, very, I mean, as we talked about at the top of the episode, it's big and modern. You're seeing it poke its head on the Pioneer, some... Legacy, I mean, you definitely have some, you know, cross-format play. I mean, Extended Art Foils for $30 is not actually that expensive for a major staple. And one of the other cards I would, I, I think is a worthwhile comparison is Dryad of the Elysian Grove at Atheros Beyond Death. Because those Foil Extended Arts, as a four of in uh, Amulet Titan decks in Modern, plus which is basically the only archetype that played it, plus um, play heavy play in EDH, got up to almost $80 as well by August of 2021. Then have been not, since knocked back down to about $40 because it caught that really nice secret layer borderless foil printing with Fiona Staples art. The come, yeah. come fuck me dryad. And those are going for about 42. So those are now kind of synced and will probably climb slowly back up together. So I suspect that Ledger Shredder is headed for a similar fate. It's going to get somewhere between a year and three years without a reprint. During that interval, these foil extended arts will have a chance to get up in that 60 to $80 range. And then they will hit us with a double masters reprinting or a secret layer reprinting and it will tumble. But 
card is very, very good. So I suspect it's got, you know, the next six to 12 months will be very kind to these. And I should also point out that regular copies are going for $20 as an imprint standard rare, which is why I didn't pick regular copies. Regular, the pool of regular copies is very deep and they're already very pricey. If that was a $6 rare right now, but it was seeing this level play, I would probably have picked the regulars on the basis that they could double more easily than the foil extended arts. Um, Ledger Shredder is $25 for the cheapest card. Wait, so it's, it's $25 for $23 for the basic pack copy and 24 for the extended art version. And then what I'm calling foil extended arts, which are at 30 to 30 to 32, depending on where you're buying them. Yeah. 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 I'm just noticing that the extended art is like a dollar more than the non extended art. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're, if you're looking for a non foil copy, grab those EAs. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I'm, I'm looking at EDH rec here a little bit. It looks like, um, Dryad and Shadow Spear are the second and fourth most popular cards from Theros Beyond Death. Uh, just for a frame of reference for like where they sit within their set because their numbers are really good. Um, Ledger Shredder is 10th, although there is a set of five lands that sit in between there. So that puts him at fifth most popular. If you don't count the lands, Theros didn't have a land cycle that was popular at all or mm -hmm. any land cycle, I don't remember. So it's slightly less popular in EDH within the context of its own set, but only by a small amount. Uh, but you have a lot more competitive play on it. I mean, given given the numbers that you know, given that it's twenty three dollars for the absolute cheapest copy possible, and you're paying like thirty to thirty five for the extended art foils, that's probably worth it right there, just because that spread is so tight, and it seems like that might that that could do a pretty good job of opening up a little bit over time here. Um. You've got 12 months, which I think is probably a, a decent timeline. It's going to take a little bit of time to chew through a very solid inventory. But I mean, the card certainly has chops here. And, you know, you just you just need that the EDH crowd to put some drain on it. And uh, competitive players pick off pieces here and there. So about probably a slightly counterintuitive pick, you know, to buy a brand new extended art foil, right? Like two months after it's been released it feels so fresh but i can't say that i i can't say that i dislike it yeah i like it because it's off it's high like it got up closer to 45 and now hype cycles shifted a bit but mm -hmm. we've it's we've also in that interim had time to see it prove itself over and over and over again it's been sure. in our top eights week after week um sure. while you while you've been absent so it's looks pretty just good. seems like the type, it it doesn't like the type of card that you're gonna have to pay close attention to though i don't think you can buy this and shove it in your box and ignore it um just so that you make sure you don't accidentally get caught out in some like ornith ornitho ornithological adventure set that reprints Ledger Shredder, right? Like you just don't want to get caught out on a secret layer or something like that. I, I just figure because it literally just came out two or three months ago, there's no way it's on the reprint docket for the next year. Oh no, 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 I agree. I mean, I don't. I would be surprised if you saw it in 2023. But that's but like once you get past next year, that's probably where. That begins to loom its head, right? Oh, yeah. I, I agree that 2024 gets a lot more risky because this card is in high demand. And by that point, it may be very, very pricey. So they'll be motivated to reprint. Yeah, which is which is why I say it's the, the type of card that you can't forget you have. Yep, I agree. Talk yeah. to me about your first pick. 
Yeah, this one, um, I, I was I was thinking about it a little bit, but I think that I'm I pretty sure I like this, which is uh, Cultivate. You may have heard of Cultivate. Um, it's in 312,000 EDH rec decks. It's in 50% of all green decks. I think it's the second sec, second most played card in EDH. It's very high. Soul Ring, I think, is higher. Uh, but Cultivate's very high. Now, Cultivate's interesting because for a very long time, there was not a single good copy of Cultivate. Uh, there was an FNM promo that I own a bunch of copies of in like French that kind of was okay. But basically it started in, I think M11 was the very first printing. And then there were, let's see, 12, 16, 20 printings of that card roughly, uh, up through M21. And like, basically they all sucked. There was just the same artwork on all of them and nothing interesting about them. And then you hit M21 and it kind of popped. And you had the M21 extended art. You had the, um, in no particular order, the M21 art, the secret layer art, the Strixhaven uh, alternate English alternate frame art, and the Japanese alternate frame art. So you got four good versions in a relatively short time frame. It's like two years. Now, reviewing these, I think... I have the the actual the the most expensive non-foil version of this card I think is actually the secret layer version which is also the one I'm talking about spiking on um the other artworks are I'm gonna say divisive I I I think they each have their charm but they're they're not um I don't think superior to the secret layer art. I think the secret layer art has the best coloring and the best composition. It's most interesting um, to say nothing of the sort of cultural relevance of having two young black children, which is um, always a plus to see. So I think that that is the best version of cultivate right now. The price tends seems to agree with me. You can get non-foil copies of those uh, for about five fifty, and it's actually I believe cheaper to buy the non-foils than the foils of the cultivates. Uh, there's not a terribly deep supply. There are, I mean, there's a medium supply. There's 77 vendors on TCG, but of the near mint, uh, let me make sure I get this right. Sorry, 34 vendors for near mint non-foil extended art copies from Secret Layer. And nobody has much of a, a, um, a pile either. I see a 15, a 26, um, and then a 27 way down the page. Uh, so there's some inventory out there, but it's not really deep. Um, and you're paying about five bucks, maybe five fifty tops for copies right now. There's, there's a decent amount at $5. So you're getting the borderless, a borderless copy pro close to arguably the best artwork on Cultivate there is for five bucks. The supply's not terribly deep. The secret layer came out, pretty sure this was February of this year, right? That was this year's or was that last year's? Uh, Might have been February of last year. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's 2021. There was a 2021 one. Okay, so you've had some time for that to chip away. I, I think that um, given that Cultivate is in a league of its own when we're talking about popular and EDA track. I think the art is great. I think the price is very tempting at $5. It's easy for someone who needs extra copies of Cultivate to pay $5 for them. $20 is a harder sell, but five is cheap enough that you don't mind grabbing a copy or two if you like the way they look. 
Um, it's been on a rise for the last year that it's been out. If you take a look at the price graph, it's basically just been a nice steady rise the whole time. Uh, there's no deep walls. I think you're picking up these non-foil secret layer copies at about five bucks and hoping to turn them around at between nine and 12. My main concern is that there have been a few different special in quotations versions. It's a card that they print all the time in commander decks, tons and tons of printings there. And when they've given us the fancy versions, some of which I've, I've bought as specs, like I remember distinctly buying Japanese foil, uh, Strixhaven cultivates and core 2021 foil borderless cultivates. They may even have been picks on cast. They haven't really gone anywhere. The foil, the foil borderless from Corset 2021 is from two years ago now, and they're at 86 listings. And there are some decently decent sized walls, 10, 8, 20 copies kind of thing. And the market seems to buy them relatively frequently, but they also seem to get buy listed often enough that they the supply replenishes. And while I like the Black is Magic uh, secret layer overall, um, and it's it has produced, it's definitely made money for people. Uh, I'm not sure that even though these sell five, six, seven copies a day on TCG, that people are going to get it in and out of this in a timely fashion. I have zero problem with buying these for personal use at this price because it's very solid entry if you like the card. I'm curious how long it will take for them to drain out. If we look at the normal copies, we're down to, what did you say? Just 30 something vendors. Yeah, 34 listings. There's, there's, it looks like there's less than 100 copies on TCG Player right now. I mean, I guess I should, I have to give you credit for the fact that the cur the price curve on the secret layers is much more attractive than the core 21s. So yeah. maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe, I, I mean, the thing, the thing about secret layer versus core 21 or Strixhaven is there's way less product overall. And, and more to the point, there's no replenishment point whatsoever. Once this, the, the secret layer stuff hits the market, it's hard for it to replenish whatever demand is present. And and this isn't the kind of card that sells twice a week. It does sell multiple copies per day. Yeah. I, I mean, so you'll notice that on the spreadsheet, I have it as a seven, BN, which is kind of the lowest we tend to go. I'm, I'm not... I'm not singing the praises on this one. I think it's an interesting consideration. I kind of like the way it looks, but I don't, I'm not as jazzed about it as we are some of the other stuff, but I do think that the numbers all kind of look good. I think that the price curve looks good and being a secret layer, there's no more restocking of this one. So you'll get more uh, of the, whatchamacallit, more cultivates over time, but I, they'll never be this one. Um, so I, I understand the trepidation. I think it's, I think I can get behind it, but I certainly respect why it might put people, people might be cautious at first glance. I'll tell you this much. The backing from Card Kingdom on this non-foil is at 225 US, 293 credit. So if you go in on them, you know, within a dollar of that, you're not too exposed. And Card Kingdom's unlikely to drop their request. They, it looks like they want 10 of the non-foil and 10 of the foil. And the foil, they're offering a little bit more than the non-foil. Whereas if you look at the foil etched from Strixhaven or the Mystical Archive or the Borderless from Core 21, they're under $1.50, as low as $0.60 cents for those. 
So there's some strong evidence that this is, in fact, the preferred premium version of, of Cultivate. Yeah, yeah, I don't... Uh, that's my read on it, but I... I if I, really I wish the M21 version was slightly worse because that would make this one that much better. Um, yeah, but I okay. still think that it, it appears to be the generally the most appreciated one. All right, let's move on to my card, which is a kissing cousin with Leisure Shredder. How about Merktide Regent regular pack foils? Back in September, I called the showcase foils to go 30 to 60 or something like that. Now I'm going to call the regular foils to go 38 to 70. This is also, alongside Ledger Shredder, a multi-format super threat. Doesn't see as much multi-format play as Ledger Shredder because it's not a standard card. It came out in Modern Horizons 2 last summer, so it doesn't, see, it doesn't have any standard or pioneer backing. But it is a four of constantly in Modern and Legacy. And throughout all the various changes in Modern this year, uh, you know, band lists and so forth, it has remained untouched. They seem perfectly content to let this blue-red deck squat in the middle of the format. Doesn't look like it has any likelihood of getting banned anytime soon. And it does see limited EDH play, but it's not really a force there. Bottom line is that the pack foils are down to just 24 listings with no major walls. And one of my favorite conditions, you are CK credit covered at $39 credit. So if you get in on these in and around 36 to 40, you could get back out to CK if you really needed to. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I'm, I, I would be roughly lukewarm on this, but the, the supply, and the CK is both um, encouraging. Twenty three vendors is is not many at all. No one has a deep has deep pockets. It looks like I see three people with more than one copy. So out of twenty three vendors, you're at basically thirty copies. A touch more than that, which is not many at all. There's you know you have the the promo foils are right in the same ballpark. Um, oh, hold on, let me poke around here. So what are these? What is this? Uh, oh, the what? What was the promo for this for? Do you know? There. The only promo that should exist for this should be the pre-release. Is that... Yeah, okay. Because it has 2021 stamped on it. Yeah, that's the pre-release. Is that the pre-release one? Stamp? Okay. Because it's different than they used to be. They used to have the actual data on them and blah, blah, blah. Uh, There's only four near those at 50. Yeah, this thing's a lock to get a foil borderless in 2024 or something like that. It just just seems obvious. It's going to get an old border foil or a foil borderless for sure because Wizards will make money on that. Um, but again, Modern Horizons 2 is just about out of print. Like it's probably out of print officially, like there's no more coming off the printers, but there's still product filtering through the market. And over the course of the next six to 12 months, we should see the same thing happen with MH2 staples that we saw with MH1 staples, which is that they will drift up in accordance to how long they can stay out of print. If we compare Merktide Region to say a mythic foil from Modern Horizons 1, which came out two years prior, something like a Yawgmoth, which was bigger in EDH than Merktide, but the archetype it appeared in in Modern was also singular and lower profile. That's the green-black Yawgmoth deck. Um, That card is currently at about $80, and that's with the Old Border Foil drawing attention away. Um, that was printed 
I guess that would have been 18 months after its original release. So that would be the like threat profile for Merktide Regent is that you'd have to start thinking about a reprint on it like next winter or spring, and then it will probably happen somewhere within 24 months of that. Hmm. I uh, yeah I um. Oh, those ret- the retro the the etch foil is fine, but the the, it's, the supply. It, it's not etched foil. It's just ugly. Or, it's ugly yeah, frame the foil. Sketch, the, the sketch showcase. Thing. Yeah, sketch. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, I I think I think this is bound for a reprint, but like you said, it's not going to be tomorrow. You've got a little bit of time on this, and the popularity is quite high. I can see you know with the with the credit backing, it's pretty reliable. I think you can go in on a couple of these, and by the end of next year. I might be tempted to just di- to to get rid of them at whatever price point they're at, just so that you don't get caught out. Um, hopefully, you'll have tur- you'll probably have turned it around, made made your money by then. But even if not, you're likely not to have really gotten penalized much, um, and you very well may have doubled your buy-in before then, anyways. For folks that don't like foils, you could also just be looking at the regular copies. I didn't select them here because there's 154 listings of them with minor walls along the way but there's actually a fairly steep ramp like you can get 13 and 14 dollar copies right now but a lot of the copies are closer to 20 and if you look at major retailers they'll be 20 plus so you know if you're willing to if you're willing to hold these and and kind of bet against an like a reprint in 18 months as opposed to three years then I think you'll get paid off on that and probably at a higher level than you will on the foils. The foils might make you, you know, 40 or 50% minus fees and shipping, whereas the regulars could be a double or a triple if they go long enough without a reprint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's a, there's a couple different ways here. The pack foils are definitely tempting. Um, and with those promos foil, the just the pre-release ones sitting at 50, you already know there's a little bit, there's some room for you to move up there too. So... Uh, I mean, if you're a believer, these seem like they're they could do pretty well for you, and they could get there pretty quick, honestly, with the supply that low. Given that they're, if anybody's buying them, they're buying four at a time, and you know they're not buying singles because it's not really an EDH card. Yep. All right. So, how about your next selection? So this one is a weird one, uh, a little bit, but I like it. So I knew, I like barely aware this card existed. Varagoth Blood Sky Sire. This is out of Kaladesh. It is the three mana two three death touch with the boast ability. Um, but essentially what this means is, is if you attack with it, you can demonic tutor. That's what this card does. If you attack with it, you can demonic tutor. Talking with target player, but Varagoth. Varagoth uh, is in 25,000 EDA track decks um, and came out a year and a half ago. So I think a pretty re- resp- uh, respectable performance there that's roughly on... That's a truthfully worse than Ledger Shredder, um, because that's ten thousand in like two months, and this is twenty five thousand, but it's still pretty good showing because it's demo- a repeatable demonic tutor. Um, it's very popular in Yuriko, which is actually the second most popular commander of like the last two years, which I thought was interesting. Very popular commander. Uh, the I'm we're looking at the showcase foils here, uh, so you're never gonna see a reprint like that. This is it. This is the only copies these you're getting. This is probably I I would be surprised if you see Varagoth. I mean, I guess you could see Varagoth reprinted in like Commander decks, like the types of places they put just like basic rare cards. But we're not interested in competing with those because we're looking at the showcase copies. 
Um, now, I'm going to tell you about the supply. It's big. Uh, there are 93 vendors, which is like moderate, right? It's not humongous, but it's not moderate. But you have the Gaming Co. right there, third down the list, 143 copies <laughs> of these So, so how much do you believe is the, is right. the question? Now, you're going to be like, Travis, surely you are not ad- advising us to buy a card with, you know, over 200 copies available on CCG Player. Yeah, I am. Do you, know, do you know what CK's cash buy list for this card is right now, James? What is it? It's $3.85. You will make $0.85 cents cash if you buy these from Star TCG Player and send them the Card Kingdom. $5. $5 credit. fine to me. I mean, now, they're I'll tell 15. you what's going to happen here. Nobody's going to buy this and hold it for two years. They're just going to follow your advice on that and get it done. Yeah. Now, the, these are... Five dollars. Uh, there's only card blah 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 blah. <clears throat> card Kingdom's only buying fifteen, so you can't buy less one hundred and fifty off one hundred fifty copies to them. Uh, but clearly, there's some demand there. Um, it sells a copy every day, every roughly every day ish. Uh, another point here: Card Kingdom or gaming company with one hundred forty three copies is not necessarily going to wait for you to buy one hundred forty three copies before they change the price. I like to bring that up. Um, but really you're buying at $3 here. You're already cash backed on buy list and your big goal here is to just double, right? Like if this gets to like, all you need is that buy list to move up to like five or six bucks and you're in good shape, right? Like you're not looking for a humongous change in price. Um, this only has to move up a handful of dollars over the next year or so maybe two years and you've done you've done a decent job so with a with a buy-in so cheap uh, uh ample quantity for you if you so desire and uh solid buy list support already no reprint concern with this border and frame it's demonic it's repeatable demonic tutor and edh i think that despite the inventory here uh i have a feeling you'll probably make out pretty well if you give it some time the other thing is, three eighty-five cash is five dollars credit. Yeah, and for a lot of people, they value credit at about 0. 0.85, 0. 0.8. But I often try to get out of my credit at CK at par. Like I just hold my credit until I see something that I think is underpriced, so that I'm leveraging credit into even greater gains. Right. So that's that, that's the dream, right? <laughs> sure. I mean, I I do it pretty consistently. You just have to be, you know, not in a rush and be paying attention. The, so, for instance, like one of my exits was Edgar Markov, Judge Foils at 200. Well, they're still about that much in the market. So, solid exit. And when you can do that kind of thing, going, you know, ordering 15 copies of this at $3 and turning them into $5 is a no brainer. And I will stay hands off on this and let the pro traders go at it. They can, they can all buy 15 copies each, and only one of them will get the exit. Yeah. Well, right. Really good. So, I'm just going to tell you guys, if you're trying to do that, you should submit your buy list order now. Better hurry up. And then buy the cards. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right? And uh, and just wait for them to show up. So, but I mean, I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not telling you this because I think you should turn them around and solve them to CK right away. I'm just pointing out that I think there's, there's some room here. It's a good card. I think, I don't even think that it's just the showcase that's safe from reprint. This is just one of those legends that is hard to reprint. Like, it's most likely to show up as a regular non-foil in a commander deck. Yeah. Uh, it is worth pointing out that we heard news in the Discord earlier this week that as with the 
the Warhammer 40k decks, which we now have a premium version with a special treatment in it. The Dominaria United Commander decks apparently have two versions of each deck. So whether that's premium treatments or alternate cards is hard to say. Um, but as they start to sell us more and more premium versions of off-the-shelf commander decks, the odds of fancy versions of cards being reprinted does go up. Now, that said, in the model, the current product uh, formulation model as we currently understand it, I think the foil showcase Varagoths are safe from reprint for the foreseeable future. Uh, this looks pretty good. Good little catch. Uh, all right, my uh, final section of the week is not even a magic card. We haven't been talking a lot about uh, flesh and blood all that much in the Discord lately, other than the diehards that are actually playing it, um, because the days of triple ups within the first month of release seem to be long gone on that game. But there are still cards that can spike in a game that is seeing some reasonable amount of play. And in this particular case, I'm talking about a new uh, prominent sideboard card, apparently, called Erase Face, out of the Uprising set recently released. It says, when Erase Face hits a hero, cards and tokens they own lose all class and talent types until the end of their next turn. And so if you, you're playing against a hero that has, you know, relies on all of their cards having some, of, some kind of interlocking synergy, this card takes that away and I, my impression based on conversations i've monitored is that it is can have a time walk-esque type effect where it basically just invalidates their ability to combo off on their turn and so they're going to do it's going to make your opponent's turn very inefficient ineffectual and basically can buy you a free pass back to your own turn um, the foils of this card took off hard and fast and they were available under 30 and now the lowest price copy is $45 with 14 listings left. And it's a very steep ramp. And if this card keeps up in the direction it's headed, I could very easily see it going, say, 45 or 46 to 60 to 65 and giving people a decent exit in the yeah. next 6 to 12 months. Well, I will uh, refrain from commenting too much. Um, so I will... But our listeners uh, judge that for themselves, as I am unfamiliar with Fab. But this does give me a good chance to ask you a question. I saw a video, and I'm sure you did too, of them shredding a promo, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what? Th that was a promo they gave away at like their first GP, right? Or AGP, the calling. I, I haven't gone down the rabbit hole on that to get all the all the specifics, but my understanding from people inside that community is that it's not. It shouldn't be considered a big deal. That they were doing that, it came to the forefront because uh, uh, Seth over at Goldfish got harassed by some of the Fab personalities for commenting on it because they they thought it was his comments would make the company look bad for doing it. But I think, I mean, whatever. All he said was that Magic players would have had a shit fit if we did it in in this hobby because they would have said, you know, why didn't you give the promos out instead of destroying them? Well, I mean, I don't think he's wrong. Uh, I also think Wizards probably, I don't know if they shred them necessarily, but they definitely stash them, right? Like, it's not easy to get your hands on. Like, they, they, they vault them, I think, which is, you know, comparable, I think is probably a reasonable comparison. But did, uh, do you know what the price on those things was? I was just curious if you do or no, don't. I, I didn't look it up yet. No. 
because people were saying how much it hurt. And I'm like, okay, was it like a $40 promo or are these like $400? But surely they did not give away $400 promos but or at an event. But at the same time, they talked about like, oh, these are like the last 37 of them. So it's like, that doesn't sound like there were many of them to begin with. Um, okay. Someone can fill us in in the Discord. Uh, segment four, our weekly topic... TCG, AQS, CFP, SCG, MIA, ROI, UITA. I mean, that's all we need to say, really. Yeah, I think that sums it up. Um, TCG player has bought Channel Fireball. Lock, stock, and uh, barrel here, right? Like, they got... I'm, the, un- I'm the... unclear on the barrel. If the barrel is the inventory, I didn't see it mentioned in the agreement. I... Hmm. This, okay, so that's a good. That's a fair point, I guess. Is if you're unversed with business transactions, that might seem like an obvious point, but maybe it is not that the inventory didn't come across. But does that to the average Magic player that doesn't matter, right? Like we don't like. Well, because here's that what matters ha- to Chetty Hampson. It doesn't really matter to us. No, that back in 2020. Channel Fireball merged with Binder POS. Binder POS was an up-and-coming software firm that was focused on providing inventory management solutions for collectibles companies, basically LGSs. And the reason that they had entered that market was because there was a long-standing software incumbent that was much hated called Crystal Commerce. And many, many, many gaming stores were leaning on Crystal Commerce and their software was always buggy and slow. On our end of things, we had trouble integrating with Channel Fireball's pricing at one point because they their old website was based on Crystal Commerce and it was a shit show to try to get data exported out of that system. And so apparently John Sasso, owner of Channel Fireball, um, was having similar thoughts about Crystal Commerce because by the time they get to 2020, they are you know seeing Binder POS out there offering an alternative, and you know we're looking for software that they could build their new retail website with, and they ended up using Binder POS. And it's not 100% clear to me because I wasn't behind the scenes whether that process, whether the process of John being interested in buying them started before. They built their website on it or they built it they were satisfied with it and then decided hey other people will probably think this is as valuable as we do we've got some cash on hand let's go ahead and acquire this to expand you know expand the scope of our business and give ourselves some you know potential vertical integration mm-hmm. so channel fireball does that and not so long down the road from there they relaunch uh, channel fireball marketplace and people are excited about it as a potential alternative to TCG Player, um, a place where the fees are potentially lower. And unfortunately, it seemed to be to get a pretty lukewarm reception. Like they for sure had clients who were pushing inventory through that platform. Things were getting sold, but it never seemed like it was a major force in the industry. It was one of the least talked about platforms in our Discord which is, you know, full of eBay and TCG player sellers. And if it had fulfilled its promise of being a truly revolutionary software product, you know, head and shoulders above other options, it would have been a much hotter topic of discussion. One of the interesting things that happened there was 
people had an upfront concern that Channel Fireball owning a platform would mean that they would be able to compete against other retailers that they were selling the software to, Binder POS software, um, with their own inventory. And I think at one point John commented that that would not be the case, but it was later discovered that they did indeed launch their inventory on their own platform under a different brand name. So that was an ongoing thing. I don't think it was ever like, I don't really, didn't really kind of nonplussed about it anyway, because A, I wasn't selling on that platform, so it wasn't really an issue to me. And B, it didn't really seem like there was any particular competitive advantage, though in theory, they would have the Amazon advantage, quote unquote, which is basically that Amazon, when Amazon detects that you have a new product that is doing very well, they have a long history of getting that product ripped off, manufactured in China, selling it alongside you, and then once they've got a, a solid foothold, they basically bury your listings and steal your business. Yeah. This is like a, a big deal problem on on Amazon's platform, which is hardly surprising in in a hyper-capitalist society. But yeah. th- there was some worry that that would also happen on the CFB platform. The thing is the platform never really got running hot enough for that to be a major issue. And so people might ask themselves, given how medium that platform launch seemed and how relatively minor its impact was in the marketplace, why on earth is TCG Player buying that platform? Because CFB has kind of pulled away from the content game to some extent. The CFB events is a much diminished uh, arm of their business that doesn't seem like a particularly attractive business to be getting into with all of the global uncertainty around major events. Um, Their retail operation, similar to SEG, seems to be uh, a tough model. Uh, You know, they they tended to be the highest priced operators or one of the highest priced operators in the business on things like singles and sealed product. And so it's been a tricky place to be. Um, as people get, you know, savvier and savvier about shopping online, you know, what, what is TCG after here? Well, my read on it is that this is very similar to when Google swallows start potentially threatening startups and just strangles them in the crib. Like this isn't because Channel Fireball's binder POS slash marketplace was a massive threat to TCG player. It's because they didn't want anybody else to acquire them and then put enough capital into the, the the platform to become a threat. They would much rather anybody who tries to chase them down the road they're on to be starting from scratch. You so I mean that's that's giving uh, that's that's interesting because you you are looking at this as if Channel Fireball was sort of an up and comer, but they were I mean we don't have sales numbers. I'm sure they're smaller than TCG Player, but for a long time they were one of the biggest online platforms. So you see this sounds like you see this more about Binder POS than you do Channel Fireball. So let's look at some quotes from the involved parties. Chetty Hampson is the founder and CEO of TCG Player. 
He says in their press release, Together with Channel Fireball and Binder POS, we will deepen the connection between collectors and retailers via online and physical store channels, accelerating a strategy that has been front and center to us since our founding. For the first time ever, TCG Player will provide a comprehensive POS solution that seamlessly connects a hobby store's inventory to the TCG Player marketplace, while also enabling the sale of any collectible on their store shelves, including comic books, sports cards, and board games. This is key. There's an opportunity here for TCG Player via Binder POS, assuming that they significantly upgrade it. Because I don't actually think... Certainly Crystal Commerce was not, and Binder POS also had a long way to go to being world-class software. And I say this as a guy who's managed software teams for 20 years um, and has deep expertise in e-commerce. The Binder POS has some positives. I always found it difficult to browse. I didn't hear uh, particularly great things about it from stores other than that it was significantly better than Crystal Commerce. Like For them to get from terrible to medium was a, still a big gain for them, um, for a lot of stores. And so if TCG Player invests in bi- the Binder POS product and team, beefs both up, and relaunches a version 2.0 of the product, then TCG accomplishes some marketing in a, you know market segment integration where they are now an independent freestanding platform, but they're also selling software to the retail arm of the business and i don't expect that to bring in a tremendous amount of money for them but it does open the door for them to simultaneously expand their catalog because keep in mind the business i tried to launch uh via startup uh the startup community back in 2012 called shelf life the the end goal there was to have a infinite or basically a complete uh, online database of every collectible ever made and then basically do these same things. Allow the stores to manage their inventory in there, allow collectors to manage their collections in there, and to automatically connect buyers and sellers by comparing wants and haves that those two sides uh, dropped into our system via the interface. This is starting to get towards that when you greatly expand into comic books and board games and stuff like that on the TCG player platform, it becomes more of a collectibles platform instead of a TCG platform. And in fact, might be due for a rebranding down the road, if that's the case. Um, And I think that is much more valuable to them than the events or content side, uh, which was A, primarily magic focused, and, and B, uh, both seemed like troubled business models. Well, so that that touches on an interesting point here that I saw some discussion of, which is that Channel Fireball, viewed through one lens, was having some trouble. Um, it seems like they were perhaps floundering a little bit uh, in the last several years, like leading up to COVID. Um, some i don't remember the details but sort of juggling trying to figure out how to deal with their content and the event management they had signed this three-year deal because that was how long it was going to take to get to the point where the gps were becoming profitable but then COVID hit and kind of caused some problems there um so that your 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 framework here has really painted tcg player as being the aggressor um and essentially trying to get their hands on binder pos 
Well, my my guess, my guess is that it is more that they are opportunistic. I don't think it's like a hostile takeover by any means, but it could well be something like the platform was not generating nearly as much cash flow as John Sasso wanted it to be. And TCG player guessed that that's the case because they probably had their eye on it. And they've had one of their people, you know, reporting in meetings as to how it seems to be doing. And if they didn't, if they felt like they weren't really gaining ground and might be floundering uh, or having trouble expanding to the level that they probably originally imagined they wanted to, they probably saw an opportunity to buy this, this, get this software, Binder POS, as the key asset on the cheap. And you get the Channel Fireball brand, content relationships, potentially event uh, management relationships as kind of part and parcel of the process. So, you know, TCG player might be launching uh, LSV content on their platform in the next few months, which is a boon to their, you know, drawing eyeballs to their content. They might have a, might turn that into a more expansive YouTube channel or like a, a stable of YouTube content creators that cover everything from board games to comic books to Pokemon and, and magic and fab and whatever else, uh, action figures, etc. That could that could be a thing if they manage it well. In the next three to five years, you could see that blow up into something much larger than the CFB channels ever were. Um, but I still think that this is mostly about getting binder POS on the cheap and making sure that nobody else gets it and is in a position to compete using you know a bunch of code that TCG Player probably had already been in the midst of a five-year plan or whatever where they intended to enter this market so they, they're you know when they're looking at binder pos they're saying well is it good enough that we can buy it fix any problems we have with it and move forward and is that cheaper than starting this project from the ground up and competing against them while they're still in the market and it my guess is that this acquisition is based on the answer to that question being yes which is also kind of interesting to me because i i mean Assume that the inventory didn't get sold, right? The actual cards remained in possession of John Sasso and whomever, but that the rest of it transferred hands. Uh, who, what, 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 what do you think this sold for? I mean, this has got to be over a million dollars. Pretty. What easily, do I think right? this deal was worth? Yeah. Uh, somewhere between one and ten million. Yeah, but I, yeah, it's, which is... it's, it's really hard to dial in on that without, you know, for all I know, Binder POS has a new version about to launch for, I don't know exactly how many vendors were on that platform. I don't think it was very many. Like I, I would say it's less than a couple hundred. Yeah. Um, the, I don't think it was generating tremendous revenue, but I don't have access to that. Um, there is a quote in here that says Binder POS was was processing approximately $200 million of gross merchandise on an annual basis. Unclear to me whether processes means adds to inventory. I suspect that's what it means. As opposed to um, sold. Because if they were getting 5% of $200 million a year... They would not need to be sold to TCG Player. You're talking $10 million in revenue a year. I don't think that's where this was at. I think that that no. $200 million of gross merchandise value is the total amount of inventory that was added to the platform and price. Yeah. 
I mean, that sounds probably much more reasonable. And I would guess that's not the Channel Fireball platform inventory, which was only Magic. It is the inside the POS at stores. So 200 million in retail product across a bunch of stores is actually not that much product. You know, that's if your average store, mid-sized store has whatever, a million in inventory, then that's the 200, 200 vendors I alluded to earlier. Um, so I, I didn't see the, the, the singles inventory and sealed inventory mentioned here. It could have been part of the deal. Maybe it's just getting sent to TCG direct and that, you know, John provided a spreadsheet and it was included in the total price, or maybe they held on to it to sell separately under some new banner. Yeah. I, because keep in mind, oh, no. as I said, CFB was definitely selling under another name on their own platform. So if the platform still exists, then that inventory is still on the platform and can still be sold to the platform. Which is which is kind of funny. So so probably uh, what will happen is somebody in the Discord will do detective work. If the inventory all disappears off the platform, then it may have been part of the deal. If it stays on the platform, then it probably wasn't. Yeah, and I mean, maybe TCG Player lets the inventory stay with John and whomever else owns part of that, you know? As you said earlier, it doesn't really matter. Because, like, let's say that that was $5 million or $10 million of inventory. That would certainly affect the final price. But it's it's not it, it's not inventory that you can easily leverage into multiples. Like, if you have $5 million in singles, you can't easily turn that into $50 million. You can turn that into six and a half or seven million or eight million or something and it's over some period of time and you have to have a replenishment process and it's just not it's not a it's not the core of what's going on here is my interpretation it it matters to john sasso and lsv and shetty hampson it does not matter to anyone else yeah um and and it also doesn't seem like there's there's no like channel fireballs closing fire sale where there's a bunch of cheap shit like none of that seems likely to go on and has not gone on so you know if in the face of that if we consider this primarily as TCG player wanting binder POS, that's an interesting, I mean, I guess this happens all the time in the software world. You see it from Google a lot. Um, but for people who don't live in that world, it is interesting that the software would be that valuable because, you know, if you're Google and you're buying some like company who's starting AI or various other technologies you presume that they they see some sort of spark there some sort of some sort of feature that they want to get their hands on early and their competitors are big right like the type of people that google that might be trying to buy that company other than google are going to be very big companies with a lot of money it could be some real problems if you're tcg player trying to buy a platform Buying TCG Player primarily because you want to own this vendor platform. That's a lot of money to sink into a piece of software that's like, okay, right? Like how, like people use Binder POS, like no one talks about how phenomenal it is. Even if it's good, I've never heard people sing its praises compared to other platforms. Uh, there aren't going to be that many people fighting you for it. No one has that much money for it. It just seems like the type of thing that, and this could be grossly underestimating it, not that hard to put together yourself if you need to. I mean, if you hire a team of 10 programmers and stick them in an office for a year or two, they can't bang out something better than Binder POS? I, I, I think there is. I, I think there is. 
I think there's room in the industry not just to beat Binder POS. There's room to beat TCG Player. Yeah, that, like, that's what's so interesting to me. Like, is it buying software makes to me makes sense if you're Google. It it's weird for a company like TCG Player to invest what reasonably multi millions of dollars on that piece of software. When, when you already have, you, the thing is, is you're not even trying to buy, necessarily buy the vendors who are using Binder POS right now who are in those brick and mortars because you already have this massive established user base who's on your platform. So you're not buying their customers too. You don't need to. You just need to buy the software. Well, and they still have to beat Crystal Commerce. Crystal Commerce sucks, but it's still in the marketplace and lots of stores use it. And one of the problems right, is that if you're a store and all of your inventory is in Crystal Commerce... It's a major expense and hassle to switch to anything else, no matter how good it is. And so it's and some of those, you know, owners of small businesses are very reluctant to to mess with their day to day, even if their day to day is suboptimal. And so there's a lot of that's the kind of business I don't want any part of. Like when we were talking about shelf life, we never talked about it from the retailer end. We assumed the retailer would be like end would be free. Or it would be some nominal fee, but it was never part of the core business model. To my my belief is that you want to build a platform where collectors congregate and focus on the user experience. And my concern with a combined TCG POS facing the whole collectibles market from every angle is that they have never demonstrated that they are good at experiential design. TCG Player is not a particularly great experience. It's fine. Um, but there's all sorts of crazy things in the user the UI UX that just don't make any sense. Like it's crazy that you have to, uh, that if you go looking for all the versions of a card, you can easily mess that up. It's funny. I was thinking about that today as I'm like looking up stuff and reading about the sale here from CFP to TCG. And then I have to, I click on the card off of EDA track, but then I have to click view all versions, but view all versions doesn't work. And I have to search the name. I'm like, you paid how much fucking money for channel fireball. And I still have to do this stupid shit. Like fix this. Yeah. Because, because that thing is probably their back end doesn't handle it. Well, if they update it, it's a, it's probably a complex task to change course now because they planned it poorly up front in that particular instance. And so it's probably on a to-do sheet internally but it's just never a priority and and that to me is shows a represents a company that is operationally focused and not ex, doesn't have a really strong uh user considering uh experience team that has a strong voice in the company it's a very utilitarian looking site it's a very utilitarian experience it's very much the bare minimum in most cases site works relatively smoothly better and better than the channel fireball marketplace by the way so it's going to be very interesting to see whether the marketplace is just taken offline or there it or the binder pos is just going to integrate directly into tcg player how long that's going to take you know i i suspect that's where we're headed like that i think the marketplace is dead in the water because TCG Player is the marketplace. And so a lot of this is going to be very invisible to the average Magic player because unless you're running a store, you won't really see a lot of this in motion. Now, if you look at the um, compelling strategic benefits section of the press release, 
they cover the three things that they have clearly think that investors and industry experts would care most about. The first bullet is delivers collectibles-focused SaaS solutions that empower retailers in-store and online. So that is basically translation, we wanted Binder POS because we want a chance to be the software of choice for all of the collectibles retailers and eventually have them all selling through our platform. It's about having that inventory flow through the platform, give them their 5 to 10% or whatever, that's what they're after. Then it goes on with unite the most influential content brands in the industry. Channel Fireball does have a strong stable of content creators, or did, until they got rid of some of them. Uh, it's not clear. It's not clear to me that they are the strongest in the industry at present. I think that's well, a, didn't I think that's debatable. Who was it? Channel Fireball that just ditched everybody, or was that Star City? Star City got rid of some people, but so did Channel Fireball. Because uh, there was that big exodus, like PV's gone too. Yeah, exactly. Or he got it got dropped. Like I remember, there was that one day where suddenly a bunch of people got dropped, and now I don't remember if it was TCG or Star City or Channel Fireball. I, I think there is some some value to putting personalities like LSV on the TCG player platform for content distribution. And I, as I said earlier, I think that a expanded YouTube channel in some future universe where TCG Player has a much more expanded product focus also has value. Um, but I think they've got a ways to go there, and I'm not convinced that you couldn't have just hired the personalities. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't need yeah. you, have, you don't like LSV is a special case because he's a VP at CFB, so he gets a chunk of this. Presumably, he made, he had a nice payout here. Um, but other some other content creator like somebody like an aspiring Spike, you could just go after him and offer him a contract. Like you like yeah, he's you don't need CFB to get Spike. Um, and then enhance the collectibles customer experience with unrivaled subscriber rewards. This is all about getting people to commit to the monthly subscription service at TCG Player so that it makes their marketing engine more effective by ensuring that you see all the relevant notifications to get constantly reminded and increase your number of interactions with the platform, which it presumably leads to you buying more product um, or selling more product, depending on who you are. And But reward systems tend to be inherently can be ineffectual i think in the case of tcg infinite we've all decided in the discord it's worth it like if you're spending a certain amount of dollars per month you tend to get an, enough rewards back i think this friday there's a 10 percent off sale that's only for infinite subscribers so if you're deep into mtg finance the tcg player uh subscription service is definitely worth probably more so than the Star City Games one ever was or the Channel Fireball one ever was. And it's only going to get better as they come up with some stuff out of this new acquisition. I don't think, I don't think that's going to be the most compelling part of it, even if it's like early access to content or whatever. But certainly, you know, 10% off on a certain day where you were intending to spend $500 can pretty easily justify your involvement. Mm-hmm. So those three bullets don't really say much to me beyond that we wanted binder pos <laughs> yeah well, i mean i read that all as just generic corporate speak it didn't mean that much to me the same you would say that crap like no matter what right yep um I, yeah i i like from a, from a from a business analysis perspective i find the, the acquisition kind of curious i'm not saying it's bad i just i don't quite understand it because it seems like if you wanted the software there were pro- there had to be better ways to go about getting it. You don't need the 
the personalities. You already have such a huge user base in sellers that it doesn't seem like it would be that hard to start flipping people off of Binder POS or Crystal Commerce, especially if you're building a piece of software to compete with those, you know exactly what you're fighting against. So you can go in the Crystal Commerce and say, all right, what am, what does this tool give me for export options? And then how do I design my software to just rip all of that out? Like I know anyone on Crystal Commerce is going to export data that looks like this. So I will make sure my software can import exactly that information, um, or or even if Crystal Commerce doesn't allow export tools because you know they're trying to wall off their garden, like I will build my software to go scrape their Crystal Commerce listing, um, you know, just to save the store owners that work. Um, so I find that component all of it interesting too. The the GP contract, who knows what's going on with there? The event the event part of this. It doesn't seem like TCG players like excited to get into that space at the moment. They've done a little bit of their with their stuff, but not a huge amount. And I don't. It doesn't seem like anyone believes that's where there's a lot of money with Magic at the moment. I don't know. It all. It's 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 a curious purchase from a business perspective. I don't fully understand it, but there's also a lot of information uh, I don't have. We don't have. I I lack the ability to appreciate the context here. So. Uh, you know, from that perspective, I guess it's just, I'm just curious to see it. The The other part of this is what does it mean for our listeners, right? Like, what does it mean for the average user? Um, I mean, I think we can both agree that in general, consolidation of major businesses within an industry is bad news for your consumer, right? Like, um, and I saw some talk about how the fees on Binder POS were much lower than they were on TCG Player, and that's probably going to change. Oh yeah, <laughs> it there 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 were definitely vendors on Twitter the other day saying that they were upset about this because they had switched off of selling through TCG Player to sell through Binder POS. Um, yeah. What will actually raise my eyebrow is if the next acquisition is Crystal Commerce, mm. which, which I think is possible. Um, according to Crunchbase, there was a funding round for Crystal Commerce in 2016 of eight hundred thousand. Uh, my best guess is that TCG Player is bigger than they are. So it's entirely possible that that could be the next purchase if they're serious about moving into this market. Um, it's possible that they think that they can steal the clients from Crystal Commerce, but I think there's a, it's, as I said, there's a lot of inertia in small business to switch software. So depending on what Crystal Commerce is valued at, Chetty might look at that and go, okay. Let's let's corner this whole market. Let's take the other big so get the other big software provider as well. Um, argue with them that you know their the negotiation goes something like we can compete, or I can give you full value now, or I can outcompete you over five years and then offer you less after five. Like, mm-hmm. do you want to retire today, or because with Crystal Commerce, they probably don't want the team; they just want the clients. So the question is, right. how, how deep is the client pool? If it's if they only have two hundred on Binder POS, but there's five thousand or ten thousand at Crystal Commerce, that could be worth it. If Crystal Commerce has four hundred and they have Binder POS has two hundred, then I don't actually consider that client base worth much overall at all. Um, well, here's what I want to know: is even if Crystal Commerce has a, a, a decently sized platform of users, um, and you're worried that it's going to be too hard to flip those people. 
are they the ven- are the are the vendors who are on Crystal Commerce who aren't willing to put in the effort to flip that aren't aren't willing on their end to put in the effort to switch to a better platform presumably are they worth having like are these just hundreds of real small ball vendors who's you know who are barely making rent each month and are not even a rounding error in the grand scheme of things but this is but this is why with shelf life we didn't really think about this too hard i don't think that this part of the industry is all that big right and that's my point is you have a handful of major stores that do serious business but most magic vendors i feel like aren't doing that much right like Every local store I've ever been to is either it's either gone out of business, is barely paying the bills, or like does fine-ish, like probably worse than a local coffee shop. There's only a very few handful of stores that do enough business that like they're relevant. And if you like, but those are exactly the type of stores who would put in the time and effort to consider switching platforms if it's worth it. Yeah, because for them, that's a lot more money. You're right. Like a channel fireball is motivated to get onto an efficient pro- platform because running their business smoothly makes them more money. A yeah. guy on the corner who basically does spend zero on marketing and is just relying on his friends to come in and run a single draft every week. It's tough to get that guy to do anything because he doesn't have any money to do it and he doesn't have any expertise and he's scared, scared about change and technology that he doesn't understand and yeah, I mean, it's it's questionable to me how much this whole market is even worth in the grand scheme of things, as opposed to, you know, like the part of this as, you know, if I'm putting my investor hat on, the part of this that most appeals to me is this suggestion that TCG player is going to go beyond TCGs. Because addressing markets like comic books, action figures, transformers, shoes, whatever, and being the true unified platform for collectors that I was trying to build a decade ago, that's the end goal. And the thing is that if somebody, there's been three or four companies like Shelf Life that were funded along the way. There was one on the West Coast out of one of the bigger accelerators that was called Crave that survived for about three years before they got bought out. Um, And that largely felt like uh, the executives were purchased and then they just destroyed the company. Um, Had one of those taken off and gotten to a $50 million funding level or something, like they had closed their third series, then I would be wondering when they would acquire TCG Player. But that company doesn't exist. What we do have is TCG Player-like platforms in other segments that are doing very well. So, for instance, like StockX, like some of the big um, sneaker-based platforms are really big. And some of them might choose choose to expand out into other collectibles at some point in the future or just buy something like a dcg player you could also make an argument that the grading companies slash auction houses that are focused on comics and video games might turn their head in towards tcg player at some point and try to come to some kind of merger deal um so i'm, I'm curious where where chetty's headed with this i, I don't think we're going to see a lot come of it very quickly here it's going to take some time for this to play out and it seems like it's more of a stepping stone to a broader strategy that i think will be yeah. more interesting than what we're seeing here i i agree that i don't think any of anything here is going to happen quickly but it, um, but it is crazy so. think of this that somebody who starts playing magic in 2023 will 
have no idea what channel fireable was yeah yeah How, what percentage of people you're absolutely right uh what percentage of people listening to the podcast do you think understand their name understand whose name channel fireball oh yeah. like know the combo yeah like like realize that that's what it is and also now that we've said it out loud still know what that is listening to the podcast i would think it's high in the general magic population low yeah yeah, I think mo- mo- I would. Well, I, I definitely think that yeah, most people just out in the world don't know. But even just on our podcast, Channel Fireball, by the way, stands for the cards Channel and Fireball, because you would play a Black Lotus and a land, and then cast Channel and use pay nineteen life, and then Fireball your opponent out and kill them in one shot. Yeah. Um, on turn one, the. I, I do I don't know how big those other industries are like you you start talking about like comic books and board games and things like that and I don't really have a great sense of scale for how those compare to magic because like I think of board games is is being bigger right it reaches way more people it's much more universal it's not the domain strictly of nerds but most people in board gaming are not spending the money that you spend on on card on magic and they're not going to these like uh commerce hubs to buy and sell type of thing they go to their local hobby store or hop on amazon you know or they you know they watch a a niche youtube channel that talks about new games well i say niche some of them you know a couple of them are big but like i I don't see the 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 hub of market commerce for board games that i do magic comic books as well like is comic books is the is the secondhand market for comic books bigger than magic? Great graded comic books is a pretty big deal. Is it? I mean, I know those some of those are very expensive, but I don't know how much money actually changes hands. Well, it's kind of like it goes video games, Pokemon, and then everything else is is much smaller. Like board games is pretty big as a segment globally, but any one board game is is you know the biggest board game in the planet like a monopoly or something under hasbro is probably 25 to 50 million maybe it's 100 million but i don't think so based on the way i've read the investor reports over the years um like their whole gaming category is a few hundred millions of dollars when it's split out uh, separate from magic so that suggests to me that most of their board games are you know projects that are 10 to 50 million a year or something global and that's, mm-hmm. you know, something like a Monopoly that's been around for 100 years and has like 50 different versions or whatever. But, <laughs> but in 58 year. But, you know, video games yes. or Pokemon, these like behemoths, you know, dwarf everything going on in TCGs. But, but my final point here is this none of these companies know how to market. Channel Fireball is not a great name. Binary POS is not a great name. TCG no. Player is not a great name. No. It's the marketing side of all this that, that I question. Um, they need better user, user experience. They need better marketing. Uh, and I'm very curious to see how that all gels moving forward. Yeah, one has to wonder if, uh, if TCG Player, now that they bought Channel Fireball, will kind of set up to do a big rebrand in a couple months since they're just both awful names i my, my my previous comments were, were just i'm kind of wondering if there are what collectible markets exist out there that are bigger than tcg player that have 
would make use of a centralized hub like that shoes um, clothing sneakers shirt yeah sure. shoes clothing video games but clothing is wild like clothing is there like there are so many people in that space already yeah but i'm talking right? like collectible like, clothing like the clothing people you know uh line up for overnight so, yeah, yeah, like, rare, yeah, yeah that's rare, what i mean yeah rare jordan drops supreme all that kind of shit i guess it I see. I see. Like, I. But even right. I. I the, even the secondhand stuff. Those markets are already big. They exist. There's a lot of people in them. There's a lot of competitors in them. Um, like at that point, the magic stuff seems small. For those, Pokemon lands on TCG Player, right? Because you're buying and selling cards. It's already there. Well, right. That's my point. Like, there's not a. That's not a separate industry because it's still it's the same thing. But it, it binder POS for sure supports is going to have to support. I, I don't know exactly which categories are currently available to their the stores, but I suspect board games, action figures, toys, that stuff, video games probably. And as a result, TCG Player can mine that via integration to expand their categories. Categories. But again, TCG Player is not the right brand for selling video games. And they're starting from scratch with that platform. And something like video games, you're you're competing directly against your Amazons, your Ebay's, etc. Again, like that, your competition is not any easier in any of those segments, and in fact, yeah, but, could be harder. But what? So when you're talking about selling video games, what what secondhand market are we talking about here? There's a massive secondhand market for video games, like old stuff or modern. You're talking about the all Both. the old retro clock. Gr- graded video games was a huge deal. Over the last three years, graded collectibles period was a huge deal. My my buddy has done something yeah. like half million dollars in old Atari, Coleco, Nintendo, SNES, like Jeez. trading trading hands on like original Mario Kart cartridges at twenty thousand dollars a pop. That kind of stuff. I mean, I know I. But then there's but there's also just people like selling like Elden Ring collectible like collector's version, Zelda Breath of the Wild collector's version, Halo collector version. Yeah, so this is so okay. So the the collectible video games, like I know that that exists. That's not a surprise to me. I just it's kind of funny when you talk about some of the numbers, but like maybe it's real or not. Like there's definitely some volume potential there on the older collectible stuff. But I would think as you go forward, you you're losing that significant. You're not losing the old stuff, but the modern stuff doesn't is is disappearing because now you just die I mean, down the like, yeah. Right, like everything is digital, so the, your market, your market for that stuff is does not get any bigger. You're not adding much to it in terms of like physical product. But what happens so, though is, say you have a really popular digital only game that didn't even have a collector version, it just means mm-hmm. you end up selling more plushies from it, more T-shirts, all that kind of shit. And so accoutrement is going to end up on TCG Player. Like in the video in the video gaming sphere, you're going to have massive amount of SKUs for accessories right okay so now but i think about tcg player and it's like their magic framework but now like you're just gonna sell like elden ring plushies like that's not a that's that's not a um i don't think of that as a, a a collectibles market now you're just target you're just you're just selling toy like toys but not like special like okay this is the 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 series the drop number the the edition you're just like okay i just hear some toys 
right? Here's some t-shirts with Elden Ring on them. Like you're starting to move away from being a collectible, a secondhand collectible market to just selling hobby related crap, which isn't necessarily bad. It's just that, that, that strikes me as a different, a, 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 a semi different vertical than what they're doing already. It's a different segment in the same collect, larger collectibles market for sure. Yeah. The, but again, that's part of the binder POS appeal is that supposedly I, I would presume they can only already handle a lot of those SKUs and have the the capability to add more, more categories. I mean, you talk about a marketing challenge and having to update your marketing. That is a massive marketing pivot because now suddenly they have to try and, and show up and market and show and, and let, you know, average person on the street who doesn't know anything about magic or the secondhand market know they exist and this is where you should go to buy video game they've got to launch like up up down down as a new platform for video game related shit and then they got to market the shit out of it so this actually could be the make it or break it sprint for tcg player because keep in mind tcg player is has taken on a lot of money from investors over the years they are expecting results so they can get to the next level and take an even bigger investment in. And to accomplish that, Chetty has to keep growing. So he may well have a plan, presumably does have a plan, to address the wider collectibles market so that he can grow out of their current model. Because it's hard to push what they're doing currently much further, except in very small increments. To get right. real big in a hurry, let's say over the course of three years or something, you're right. They've got it. They need an umbrella brand or a bunch of subcategory brands that are tied together under an umbrella, a loose umbrella, and they're going to have to launch like versions of their platform in three or four other segments. I guess. I guess this is that's roughly kind of what I've been dancing around, and you, you phrase it better. Is just there isn't that much room for TC for the the entire magic sales economy as a whole like tcg players already very big they can get bigger but they can't 10x or 100x their nope, size exactly they might be might be able to triple it right and that and, becomes and nearly a monopoly I I, I I don't think you can even double or triple it from existing numbers without the segment doubling or tripling on some major thing like Stranger Things becomes a like mo- like a huge universe driven whatever, and then everyone in the world starts playing this new TCG around Stranger Things. None of these things are going to happen. They're just random examples, right. um, yeah. and that doubles up TCG sales worldwide. Thing is, very unlikely to for anyone to get bigger than Pokemon, um, Magic, Yu Gi Oh, etc very very hard to break into that space you just you see what's happening with fab like fab is a good game with a niche audience very unlikely to ever challenge the big three ever um it's just doesn't have breakthrough ip potential and even things like star wars and and marvel and whatever have launched tons of gaming products over the years that have never really gotten there so yeah i guess so if, if you've got the biggest properties on the planet and they can't break into the space, then the space is, you know, going to slowly, incrementally grow. And so TCG player grows as Pokemon and Magic grow, etc. But you're right. Like, if they want to go 10 times, 100 times, they've got to go into entirely different segments that are bigger. Yeah, like, and, and if and if you had, if, like, Marvel or, or if Disney wanted to push 
you know, Marvel or their Star Wars into collectible card games again, their window for that. I mean, Star Wars didn't really pass, but Marvel, it feels like it passed, right? They needed to do that back during the growth of the initial MCU because now I feel like they're waning. The interest is waning a little bit and a lot of that stuff. People seem a little over it. But the the point is, is that TCG Player can't grow that much in the in the magic space, even if you somehow expand to other I feels like then it feels like other collectible markets beyond magic aren't that much of a wealth of for them. That's I guess that's what I'm getting stuck on is like you can't get that much bigger with magic. And then beyond that, like where are you going? Because magic is already a very large and and specifically an extremely robust secondhand market, which very few other industries are. Keep, keep in mind that when we say magic, you mean TCGs because TCG player, I mean, you don't interact with it, but TCG players main categories are magic, then Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, card fight, Dragon Ball Super, Flesh and Bud, and then supplies. Yes, I'm talking about getting past card games. Because po- I know Pokemon is huge, but TCG player already sells Pokemon. That's not a market. The most, the most obvious into. one is pop culture collectibles. So trinkets and clothing. That's that's the biggest segment, would be my guess. Game video gaming is the biggest is the actual biggest segment, but it's hard to get them extract like the percentage of the total video game market that you have access to as a secondhand as a reseller platform is relatively narrow, right? Because right, right, which is because it all happens on digital, right? Well, yeah, so a lot of it. So, but there are some nice overlaps. So, like Pokemon is already uh, a multi segment brand because they're, they're video games but they're also tv shows they're movies they're every kind of accoutrement you could possibly imagine and so you know people that are already shopping for pokemon on tcg player if they launch a pop culture focused trinkets part of the platform there'll be some natural synergy there with people they can market to their pre-existing pokemon clients to offer them deals to go shopping on that new part of the platform that'll work but you're right. It's a lot harder to get Magic players to necessarily go buy Halo trinkets. There'll be some overlap, but the Venn diagram won't be at quite as tight. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a really big marketing project, and they're going to need money <laughs> to pull this off. And they and the, every segment they go into, they're going to bump into competitors that are have already posted up shop, uh, especially yeah. in things like sneakers, especially in things like clothes, pop culture. Trinkets are everywhere online, you know, Amazon on down, Amazon, eBay, and all the way down to, you know, people hawking shit through Instagram. So, yeah, I mean, this is is tough. I don't envy being the CEO in that position. And, you know, this this whole, this deal this week with CFB to me is just, you know, a stepping stone attempting to complete one of eight different major things that need to happen to get big enough that they survive. Because yeah, it's not a privately held business. So, whereas if I own TCG Player, I would probably like my tendency is to stop at the point where I'm comfortable and not worry about additional growth. And sometimes your business fails that way. Sometimes it just becomes a cash cow. But I'm not interested in the stress of constantly growing a business up to a billion dollar a year business. It's it's a yeah. You're giving a lot of yourself to that process. Um, hey, it just seems like. In TCG player's case, it seems like, yeah, 
they're on they're on a treadmill and they're not and they're not allowed to keep stop running. Let's put it that way. Yeah, you 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 can't expand past where they are without essentially becoming an entirely virtually an entirely new business. And it's like, is that the game that they're trying to play? Because you're right. Suddenly, you're very quickly fighting with like Amazon and Target and Walmart. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like you're you're two decimal, three decimal places short of that. So I mean, that's fine. Good they, luck, I suppose. I mean, you you can do it. I mean, you look at something like an e-commerce platform like Shopify out of Canada. They they were nothing ten years ago, and now they're massive. And and there yeah. was t- and when they launched, I said to people in the startup space, eh, there's so many e-commerce software companies. But often the difference between a very successful business and an unsuccessful business is execution, not idea. Being the coolest, newest is great, but sometimes you just have to be better at operational execution than everybody else. And in the case of something like Shopify, that's exactly what went on. They, they generated a very strong software suite. They marketed it effectively. They got it into the hands of business owners effectively. They used it. They sold. They made Shopify money, and their stock price has been has soared to ridiculous levels. Even though it's you know down with the rest of the market right now. So I it's actually not, don't it, even know what Shopify is honestly. Like I know I've heard of it, but I don't know. It's what just it is. like an e-commerce platform that you can use to sell shit online. There's there's mm. tons of such platforms, but they've just done very very well when others have not. So. Yeah, I mean, it, it's possible. And, and TCG Player has done a lot of things right up till this point. So I'm curious what the next the next lily pads they, they plan to skip over are to get to the, the finish line. Well, that would be a pretty major change for them, right? To go from selling magic cards and Pokemon cards and all that stuff to trying to be another Shopify. It's a big shift. Yeah, I mean, I expect that what we're going to see, the most likely categories to get added to a TCG player umbrella platform in the next few years. And I don't think this is all happening next week. Like, it's going to take time for them to advance this cause. But it's going to be board games. It's going to be action figures. It's going to be video games and trinkets, probably, and clothing. Yeah. Well, uh, and I think... So it'll be interesting how all this plays out. And uh, also it's bad for everyone who plays Magic, basically. So I, I'm not sure actually there's going to be much effect at all on, on the Magic market from this acquisition because I don't think CFB was a price leader um, or a product access leader. And I think that the number of smaller sellers on both the TCG platform and eBay and Amazon and card market basically means that there's tons of choice still in this particular market. There's tons and tons and tons of choice of places to buy. And there's still, you know, our there's Cool Stuff Inc. and there's Card Kingdom and Alpha Beta Unlimited still around. And there, there have, you know, this market has definitely shook out. And there's also, you know, some signs that Star City Games may or may not be in trouble. So we'll have to see how that goes. Apparently at a, a recent major event, they were not purchasing cards for cash. Hmm. Um, like sometimes that happens at the end of the weekend, but apparently this was the whole event. Um, so, I mean, there, there could be more changes to come in, in, yeah, in, I mean, in our I'm, I'm just looking at it from the, the rough standpoint that 
it's I don't know precisely what'll happen, but it's probably not great when there's consolidation, right? That's usually not a good sign. I mean, generally, that's a good rule of thumb. In this particular case, I'm not I'm not super concerned about it because I don't think it's I don't think any cards are going to get more expensive as a result. I would be no, pe no. People should be much more concerned about the forthcoming sealed product increase because as of Dominaria United, sealed products going up 11% from distributor from wholesale to retail, and that means that collector booster boxes for dominaria united aren't going to be two hundred dollars they're going to be like three hundred dollars and booster boxes aren't going to be 120 they're going to be like 160 retail mm. so i'm more curious to see what that price shock does to the market and i'm also curious what's going to happen with you know what does a, a collector booster box like neon dynasty currently available under 200 dollars in some places including our group buys um once they move the CBs up 50 bucks, how much faster do the old CBs that were sold under 200 appreciate if they're good? Things like Ikoria and Neon Dynasty, Zendikar, Zendikar uh, Rising with the Expeditions. You will, you will have to have that conversation with Clifford. Okay. Well, thanks again <laughs> for covering off Cliff as he's been uh, out of office for a few weeks, Travis, and hopefully we'll uh, have you back on here again as soon as we can, as soon as you're able. Where can people find you online? Cliff does return next week, just to be clear, so I will, uh, I'm not sure when I will speak to all of you lovely folks again. Maybe weeks, maybe months, maybe never. <gasps> Could get by a car tomorrow, who knows. <laughs> Uh, if he, move, if he moves Twitter, to Halifax, he's going to be plenty bored. This is true. Uh, maybe. I am on Twitter Twitter at WizardBumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. Uh, how about yourself? You guys can find me on Twitter at MDG Critic, as well as via occasional articles at MDGPrice.com and my constant haunting of our fantastic pro trader uh, Discord. I also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool stuff in stock, including the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. That brings us to the end of episode 332. Uh, it was good to be back. I had a lot of fun. Uh, definitely made the right choice stepping away because the, the tax on my time is not... <laughs> insignificant and yeah. i am doing a lot less this time around than i was initially so it was fun to come back but uh not coming back permanently anytime soon at least not for a couple years while the kids are this young i feel you <laughs> but thanks again for having me and thanks for being here travis we'll see you all next week on another episode of mtg fast finance and thanks in advance to chetty for that sweet sweet offer he's sending to gobble us up as he swallows the whole industry mm, i uh, i get equity in that by the way yep no problem. All right. <laughs> Have a good one, everybody.